0: Striketober was incredible, and this was, you know, right after we came in um, as president, secretary, treasurer, and when we walked the picket line with Warrior Met workers, when we were out with Kellogg's workers and John Deere, we knew that it's it's not one union's fight, that we needed the breadth and scope of the whole labor movement behind
1: these fights.
2: I, I I think what's different about this moment. The workers to be so fed up that you can't scare them away from it.
3: The mask is not a symbol of freedom. The mask is a symbol of solidarity, a symbol of caring uh, and compassion. And we, are, we do this for ourselves. We do this for our patients.
4: I went to uh, Staten Island to celebrate with Amazon Labor Union and um, somebody asked me, you know, why did you come? like, are you kidding me? Like, this is the moment that I've been waiting for for 25 years, that people would actually wake up to their power and understand that you can take on all the money and all the control in the world, but the workers actually have power.
2: Welcome back to the Labor Radio Podcast Daily, a special edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, coming to you from the AFL-CAO Convention in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Chris Garlock. On today's show, newly elected AFL-CIO President Liz Shuler and Secretary-Treasurer Fred Redmond talk about their plans to leverage the resources of the labor movement to support workers who are rising up across the country, organizing and striking for their rights. Then. National Nurses United Executive Director Bonnie Castillo on how healthcare workers are still battling to hold together a broken healthcare system as the pandemic continues to rage. Next, Sarah Nelson, President of the Association of Flight Attendants, talks about how American workers are rediscovering the power they have in their own hands when they strike. We'll also visit with Vinny Alvarez, longtime president of the New York City Central Labor Council, where workers who survived the pandemic are standing up, fighting back, and winning. Our last report comes from Karen Nussbaum, who spent the last couple of days interviewing a wide array of international visitors to the AFL CIO convention, providing a kaleidoscopic view of the global labor movement. And finally, we have a special treat for you today. As we were working on today's edition of the show, the gorgeous sounds of a cappella rose above the hum of convention conversation. It was the voices of Lauren Brunig, Jeremy Carter Gordon, and Lynn and Will Rowan, who performed together as Windborn. I think you're gonna really love their version of an old favorite labor song. Here's the show.
0: I think there's this false narrative that there's a quote, traditional labor movement and a quote, new labor movement. We are a workers movement. I think Apple is very similar to what we've been seeing at a lot of these big corporations where they've been disrespecting their workers. Workers have come through during the pandemic and they've had enough. And so whether you're at Apple, whether you're at Amazon, whether you're at Starbucks, um, there's different strategies depending on how the workers wanna you know, come together. There is no cookie-cutter approach.
2: I I think what's different about this moment is workers appear to be so fed up that you can't scare them away
1: from the you.
0: A lot of working people have been in in these retail jobs who Mm -hmm. often looked at it as a sort of short-term strategy, like, oh, well, you know, I'll just, if I get fired, I'll get another crappy job and move on to the next one. And I think finally they're waking up to the right. fact that it doesn't have to be that way. Exactly. Right. <laughs> that actually we can organize together and make these jobs good jobs. And we can actually have some measure of dignity and respect and a voice and not just sit by and take it. People are saying, hey, you know what? If we come together, we can actually make the change instead of just leaving and moving on. I think we're in this moment where we know that we can't sit on the sidelines and that the Federation can be that center of gravity for unions across sectors to come together around a common goal. And so the Center for Transformational Organizing, we propose will be that place that it could be its own C3 or C5. We don't know the construct exactly yet. That's what we're gonna be doing in the next 100 days define the construct, the financing and the targets. And so we come together on two or three movement-wide strategies and, as Fred was saying, you know, is it the clean energy economy? Is it Amazon? Those are questions yet to be answered because what we think is important is to have the unions at the table working together to define it. It's not that the Federation just announces something and you look back and there isn't anybody there. We all move together and that unity is what is actually going to make a difference. And you can imagine what we did in Bessemer with Amazon. We had 15 unions building and construction trades union, like auto workers that were actually sending organizers. We had over 100 organizers in Bessemer. That never happened before. And so that's what kind of sparked this idea is that we could formalize it, make it more robust and actually build something out that could be cross movement and and incorporate unions outside the AFL-CIO. As well as independent worker organizations, I, I don't mean to dominate, but I do. No, no, I do want to right, talk right. about the Strike Hub
4: want. I'm
0: running on like nervous energy right now because I'm so exhausted. But all right. so Striketober uh, was incredible, and this was you know right after we came in right, um, right. as president, secretary, treasurer, and when we walked the picket line with warrior met workers when we were out with Kellogg's workers and John Deere we knew that it's it's not one union's fight that we needed the breadth and scope of the full labor movement behind these fights and so I came back and I was like what else can we be doing with warrior met right we don't want to just send people down willy-nilly to go walk the picket line no we want to have you know our capital strategies and that, you know, protest we did at BlackRock and like, you know, putting pressure on these investors. We want to actually have workers going out and talking to other unions at their board meetings and actually, you know, raising funds for them. We want to make sure that um, they don't feel isolated and alone. Um, And so that's kind of how the strike hub was born. And now it's the contract hub and strike hub in one because we know that we need to align contract anniversary dates with the strike, you know, potential and in in a geographic area, for example, like aligning all of that is strategic. And so we plan to continue to expand on that and um, leverage the resources of the labor movement to these fights. I'm
3: Bonnie Castillo and I'm the executive director for National Nurses United. The largest union of registered nurses in the nation
2: I want to focus in on, on a, just a couple things obviously I want to talk about uh, the pandemic and health care uh, both in terms of um, what your folks and the nation has been through
5: well
3: for us you know we've seen the deficiencies, and that's putting it lightly, of the healthcare system. And the healthcare system was fundamentally broken pre-pandemic, and the COVID crisis sent it spiraling, and then the pandemic hit. And for us, uh, we knew uh, before it actually hit that we weren't prepared. And we, as union nurses, were able to uh, put out demands to the, our employers to actually procure enough PPEs, um, bring in additional staff. What I will say is we enjoyed broad support from the communities where we live because our patients and their families, they know that they can trust nurses, and they saw the failures of the healthcare system, and they saw that the corporate CEOs we're not there to take care of them, and certainly we're putting nurses who live in the community in harm's way. So, you know, we, um, through that organizing, we were finally able to uh, procure the PPE. I will say, um, you know, we still see the, um, we have massive problems still in staffing, and in non-union settings, Uh, they're still having um, issues with even obtaining enough PPE. Right now, what we're uh, countering is this collective malaise and lethargy around the virus. And and we understand that people want normal. This is not an unusual phenomena. However, it's not over. And so because we're seeing this even at our uh, government levels, and I'm talking about local, state, and federal, where... The, um, the recommendations and guidelines are weak. And so something as simple as a mask, you can make a difference in saving so many lives. And to have all this relaxation at a time when we are experiencing surges, is, uh, it, it, it's dangerous. It's not science-based. The mask is not a symbol of freedom. The mask is a symbol of solidarity. A symbol of caring uh, and compassion and we are we do this for ourselves we do this for our patients.
2: Thank you Bonnie really appreciate
4: Uh, it. Strike is our tactic solidarity is our power but we went for decades without being willing to say the word strike. Giving over to the owner class that strike was a dirty word Um, really ceding our power is what we were doing there. It's not just about the strike it's about the whole notion that workers have power and so (laughs) I went to uh, Staten Island to celebrate with Amazon Labor Union, and um, somebody asked me, you know, why did you come? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, This is the moment that I've been waiting for for 25 years, that people would actually wake up to their power and understand that you can take on all the money and all the control in the world, but the workers actually have power. And And when we come together, it's an unstoppable force, and that's why... I talk about strike. That's why I've talked about being militant. But it also leads to corporations deciding to work with us instead of fight us. And what we have to understand though is that that's not like out of the goodness of their hearts that's because you know, sometimes we have to beat, them out, beat it out of them and sometimes they just have to remember the beating they're gonna take if they don't deal with us fairly. But if we're not always prepared to strike, if we're not always prepared to come together in that way and it starts with defining the issues, setting our demands, adding urgency and then backing it up with mm-hmm. what we're willing to do and that that is the recipe every single time for executing on worker power and if you're doing that every single time in the workplace then that muscle is getting exercised that
2: so the other thing i've been thinking about this week and i have a feeling you might be too with the, with the hearings on capitol hill the little thing happened back in january the attack on democracy to me, that connects somehow to to our movement, right? Because oh, yeah. and so, can you? Am I am I off on that, or do no, you see connections? I, I mean, you're not
4: off on it at all. I mean, first of all, we should recognize that that attack happened where a whole lot of union members or people who were trying to form unions were in that building and living in absolute terror. Right. And so, fundamentally, first and foremost, um, you know, not just the Capitol police, but the staffers and the people who were in the kitchens and every and and the people the cleaning crews um, they were all terrorized by that event so if we're going to practice solidarity as a working class then we have to understand we got to have their backs and we got to have accountability for what they went through um, that is, that's first and foremost but on a bigger picture um, this is about recognizing that when we allow our labor movement to fall apart and to become so small that it becomes irrelevant that that is when our democracy falls apart Because in capitalism, everything is driven to the profits, not the people. And so if we want to keep the focus on the people, then we have to attack capitalism. We have to attack capital where it lives at the corporations. So we've got to do organizing in uh, the private sector like never before, and that is the only way that we're going to have a living and breathing democracy. I mean, the reality is that we have flight attendants who've come forward to get involved in our organizing campaigns, and because they got involved, they registered to vote, they became more civically minded, they started also getting the communications from the union and their communications that they trust, and they're moving. On the issues, they're not just listening to the talking points that are, you know, driven into their heads from from the news channels uh, streaming at night. They, they're they're getting the news from their union, from people that they have formed bonds with, that they're building, are you know, a real movement with right in their workplace, and they they uh, engage in that. And we can have a dialogue that's based on trusted information, and it, and so that is the basis of democracy too. Like we, you can trust the people to make good decisions when the people have good information. And and when you recognize that collective bargaining is about problem solving and the fact that so few people have practiced collective bargaining is also why you see a complete and total meltdown in Washington, DC, because it's never about solving problems. <laughs> it's only about everything just always being in total and complete chaos.
1: Thank
2: you so much for being on the Liber Radio Podcast Network. Thank you. Vincent Alvarez. President
6: of the New York City Central Labor Council.
2: Tell me about what's happening in, in New York City that folks need to know about.
6: The pandemic was hard on us. That's front and center. We made it through that, but we're continuing to lag the rest of the country. It hit us harder initially. There was more death. There was, there was, it, hit our, it impacted our economy harder, and our recovery is lagging the rest of the country. That being said, though, the folks who've, I think, done the best both individually and within the economy, of those who had the benefits of a collective bargaining agreement, safe workplaces, were able to address, deal with issues in the pandemic related to safety and other related issues to COVID. So we're recovering, but it's lagging a little bit, and we got we to keep at it.
2: The Central Labor Council and yeah. state feds, of course, we were both you know, right. work mm-hmm. with them, and you're major city one. And, you know, when Sweeney came in, he was the, really the first AFL president to take Central Labor Council seriously really put us front and center. And I'm just wondering what you're thinking about. Where's Labor Council, state feds now and looking into the future of the movement?
6: I think in, it's not just um, reflective of, I think, of the national or national leaders of President Shula and secretary Treasury Redmond, but of even the general presidents. They see that a lot of the advances that the, the anti-worker forces have made in the country over the past 20, 30 years, maybe a little bit longer, have been at the state and local level. So, uh, you know, they have a resolution that's going to be uh, introduced tomorrow, supporting uh, state feds and central labor councils and really exploring how we can reorganize them, how we can look at how they operate, uh, how they're funded, how they just how they work day to day and week to week and year to year, and support any changes from national unions and from the national AFL-CAO because that's where the center of so much of the activity is taking place. I'm very excited to be in the CLC and be on the front lines of a lot of these battles. And I say every day, we just got to keep at it.
2: The Amazon labor union yes. win in, in StatLine was just sort of mind blown, right? Mm-hmm. I'd just love you to talk about that. I don't think anybody saw
6: that coming. Yeah. For the past 30 to 40 years in this country, we've seen wages stagnate. We've seen a decline in, in union membership and their rights in the workplace but during the pandemic. Some of them started pushing back, even in enormous anti-worker corporations like Amazon. And a lot of these workers, particularly in the fulfillment centers, are are younger workers. And we see 59 million people would join a uh, union today if they had the opportunity. And it's a bang. There it is. And they say they have a young dynamic leader like Chris Smalls in in the Amazon warehouse union in Staten Island. It's an enormous testament to how workers really want to voice at work in the workplace so i think we'll see it starbucks i don't know how many stores it's up to now Zero, over 300 hundreds, i think it's yeah. hundreds and, and also since right. january so something's been happening for a long time but it reaches a tipping point and i think that the pandemic really put some workers over the top and said look we're dealing with a lot of different things here at a certain point something happens and they say this is we, we have to do something and people recognize that they do have rights in this country, to have a collective voice in the workplace, and they were exercising them.
2: Thanks for being at the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Thanks, great job.
6: Appreciate
2: it. it.
5: On Monday, Karen Nossbaum spoke with international visitors from across the world about the battles being fought by their unions against the repressive governments in their home countries. Here is her series of oral postcards from the global labor movement.
7: In Côte Mm d'Ivoire and in Senegal, the trade unions, work with civil society to make sure that the politicians are brought to account for the power that have been given to them through the ballot box. We act as the watchdog that makes sure that politicians don't go to the old habit of trying to circumvent the democratic process by rigging
1: election. In Hong Kong, we, we used to have a very vibrant uh, civil society. So the labor movement is actually what hand-in-hand with the uh, rest of the civil society. So we were kind of en- engaged in something, uh, what we would call a uh, labor movement, uh, uh, social movement unionism. Mm-hmm. What happened back then was, of course, we had um, uh, members and workers supporting the strikes all across the board. But at the meantime, we would engage the rest of the um, um, civil society in supporting them as well Uh, that have also caused a lot of disruption uh, in the social
7: sphere where there's a lot of this demonstration about police brutality police ought ought to be our friends but in the case of Nigeria they have aligned with the politicians and that's why my ordinary citizens see now police as an enemy instead of being a friend uh, because they have
1: aligned with the politicians and politicians use them against the citizens we built not only a broad human rights coalition but we also helped build uh, a broad social movement coalition that would include the, the biggest peasant organizations, the biggest uh, women's network in the Philippines, the youth movement, the biggest urban poor groups. They all banded together, together with the trade unions, and formed uh, what we call uh, uh, so Union of Social Movements, or or Kalipunan no, as we call it in our language.
5: The Maldives have ratified the eight fundamental conventions of the ILO which includes the C87 and C98 which are the fundamental like freedom of association and uh, collective bargaining. So we are like lobbying and negotiating with the government to enact an industrial relations act and also like filing a lot of case, cases to the ILO, working with the international organization to build on the pressure and also organizing workers in the ground to demand for an Industrial Relations Act. This year, our demand is uh, uh, national minimum wage. It uh, must be covered to the domestic workers and national social security. We are demanding the government. It's implemented to the domestic workers. The president has been governing
7: the country with presidential edicts, with decrees. And uh, uh, one of them is famous, un- uh, infamous number 20, prohibits collective bargaining. So this is one of the reasons that the, the union actually has no choice but to really raise the fight to higher levels. We supposedly have an elected government. And we are classified as a democratic country. But, of course, while the rights exist in the laws, the constitution of the country, uh, in actual practice, they don't exist. For instance, the, the right uh, freedom of speech is curtailed seriously. I myself have been charged for speaking up for 2,000 workers who were summarily dismissed by the gov- a government agency. And I have been charged and on bail and waiting for trial in October.
2: The main goal of the Bolsonaro administration was to completely destroy the labor movement. Just to give you an idea, as soon as he took power, all the union centrals asked for a meeting with him. It has been four years, and up to today we have not had a response on that. He never uh, received us.
7: The union requested from the government and the president to open a national dialogue that is inclusive, of all the political class and the political party, and put together a roadmap with the dates for presidential and legislative elections. But unfortunately, up to March of this year of 2022, there was no acceptance from uh, the presidency this national dialogue.
5: That was Karen Nasbaum speaking with international visitors from across the world about the battles being fought by their unions against the repressive governments in their home countries. You heard first from John Oda from the Organization of Trade Unions of West Africa, followed by Ming Lam from the Hong Kong Labor Rights Monitor, Ayuba Waba of the Nigerian Labor Congress, Joshua Mata, from Centro in the Philippines, Fatma Zimna from the Maldives Health Professionals Union, Kalpa Madaringa, representing Sri Lanka's Protect Union, Hadia Arfawi Alut from the Tunisian General Labor Union, Anthony Felix from the Fiji Trade Union Congress, Quincino Severo from Brazil's Central Unica Dos Trabaladores, and finally, Ali Urak, also from the Tunisian General Labor Union and this has been mel smith for the labor radio podcast network
1: oh, oh, which side are you on now which side are you on which side are you on? you
2: That's it for today's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Daily, a special edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, coming to you from the AFL-CIO Convention in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Remember, you'll find all the Labor Radio Podcast Network shows at laborradionetwork.org, and you can also find them by using the hashtag LaborRadioPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The Labor Radio Podcast Daily was edited by Mel Smith, Patrick Dixon, and Evan Papp. I produce the show. Our social media guru, as always, is Mr. Harold Phillips. Very special thanks today to Karen Nussbaum for her interviews of so many international visitors. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Labor Radio Net. Find out more on our website at laborradionetwork.org. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Labor Radio Net and find out more on our website at laborradionetwork.org. For the Labor Radio Podcast Daily, this is Chris Garlock. Stay active and stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show.